Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 99 for the 5th of July, 2007, TPM. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway, on the web at www.astaro.com. And by Nerds on Site, looking to grow your IT service business? Find out how Nerds on Site can help. Visit IWantToBeANerd.com. It's time for Security Now, the podcast that tells you why you should be afraid and what to do, and what to do about it. Steve Gibson now, is here. We don't want to be accused of, of unnecessarily alarming people, Leo. No, no, but no. it's true that there are things to fear. Well, not fear is not think, the right way. Right. Things to prepare for. You know, I, I have to confess, and I actually I mentioned this during the, the presentation. Remember, I, I was off in Cambridge speaking to – I was actually the keynote speaker for a conference that Harvard was hosting last week. Wow, that's, and pretty, that's pretty prestigious. I've noticed that my own awareness of these security issues is heightened as mm-hmm. a consequence of listening to myself. Yep. Yep. When I'm, you know, talking. Yeah. See, to you. you don't normally listen to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does. You know, and I'm not saying scared is absolutely the wrong term. We're talking about what you should be aware of and what you should do prophylactically to protect yourself. That's all. And I think half of the value of this, maybe more, is just learning about all these interesting technologies like crypto. Uh, you know that that you that are that is useful. We're going to learn about one today that's very interesting. Well, we are, and in fact, I've 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 uh, had more and more people that I'm whose postings on the Security Now page when, when they're when they're submitting things are saying, you know, when you and Leo wander off topic, it's just fine. So don't let those grousy people who are complaining, you know, that you guys are talking about non-security stuff, you know, restrict you from doing so because yeah, that's I think why we just, do podcasts. If we wanted to keep on point, we do it on the radio or on TV. Or we give speeches at Harvard. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about TPM. Yes, the Trusted Platform Module. It's something I've actually been looking into now for months in preparation for finally getting enough of a feel for it that I could characterize it. It's 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 been an elusive thing for me to get a handle on because it's not... I don't know. I mean, now I have it, and and it feels like, oh, well, of course, now I can explain what this all is. But for the longest time, I just I didn't get what it really was, where the limits were, where the boundaries were. Um, I now understand it well enough, I think, to give people a coherent sense for what it's all about. And it has been very controversial. So uh, we'll talk about that, too. Let's yes, uh, before- and, and I know why, and I know why it was mismarked. So, ah, we'll, yeah, we'll definitely don't, don't let me forget to talk about yeah, that. We'll address those controversies. And we, of course, will uh, take a look at some of your letters in uh, just a bit and uh, perhaps any addendum or errata. But before we do that, I do want to remind everybody this podcast brought to you, as always, by the good folks at Astaro, A-S-T-A-R-O dot the Astaro Security Gateway is the premier security device on the market today, and now the new version 7 makes it even better. Here's what you do. The Astaro Security Gateway, you call 888-4-ASTARO, and, and they will set one up in your place of business, and you can try it for yourself. It's really the best way to understand what this does, because it does so much encryption uh, at, at, the, at the gateway, for all your desktops, based on SMIME or OpenPGP, so it's completely transparent, encryption and decryption. It does SSL. Of course, it does all the obvious security stuff, uh, including email security, anti-spam, anti-phishing, dual virus protection for email, and as I said, transparent encryption. It also does web filtering. That's including content filtering, of course, antivirus scanning, anti-spyware. It even allows you to control instant messaging and peer-to-peer and complete network level protection, firewalls, remote access, VPN, intrusion protection. I mean, this is a lot. The Astaro Security Gateway, version 7. I'll tell you, it's amazing. Call 888, the number 4, 
A-S-T-A-R-O. A number of people have asked us, because I've mentioned before, it's absolutely free if you're a non-commercial user. And they said, well, how do I get it? There's a download button right on the front page. You can download the Astaro Security Gateway software appliance. It'll turn any PC into an ASG appliance, and it's absolutely free for non-commercial use. And that includes, by the way, something they used to charge for, subscriptions to the antivirus and anti-spam updates, the Astaro up-to-date. You get everything for 10 IPs or 10 users and 1,000 current concurrent connections. It's like everything you'd ever want. So if you're a business, call 888, the number 4, A-S-T-A-R-O, or... Visit astaro.com and uh, you can download that. It's a 30-day trial, but if you're if you're a non-commercial, don't worry. You get to keep using it. It's really quite amazing. astaro.com. We thank them for their support of security now. Time for the mailbag. Or do you want to do addenda first or rat-up? Uh, mailbag, I think. Okay. Um, I have to say now that... I'm I you know well first I sh- I should mention that you and I are recording two podcasts today we're doing 99 which is this one and we're going to record next week's immediately afterwards I guess are you I'm back going up to Canada in ben- yeah you're yeah. up in Vancouver doing doing Steve uh, is so dedicated you know some of the podcasts the news ones when I'm in Canada we don't really do but Steve is so dedicated that we do two ahead of time <laughs> so that we don't miss an episode possibly because you want to get to 100 well I, well yeah we are we are we are we're there now um, what I want to mention is, being 100, we're at a Mod 4 also, of course, so it's ah. going to be a Q&A episode. And so so this morning, I was rummaging through and catching up on a lot of the, the postings to the Security Now page. And I, I don't know what's happened, Leo, but there's been this a, a clear increase in, I don't know, our listeners' involvement and participation and feedback. What I'm getting is so much good commentary that though i want to share some of it today but what i'm thinking of doing maybe is we're getting so much good feedback from people i mean really interesting stories and and sort of tangents off of what we're talking about that i that i'm i mean and so the mailbag is full to overflowing at this point (laughs) that i'm i'm thinking maybe of doing mod four plus two would just be mailbag episodes okay so the idea mailbag the whole thing Exactly, because I mean, there, there's there's a couple long ones that I want to share with people because they're really neat, and and then we'll discuss them, of course. So they'll so it'll be like you know interesting stuff that our listeners are providing for us to talk about, not just a question to be answered, but whatever it is they're they're you know they're they, they want to discuss, and cool. so cool. so we'll alternate between regular shows and mailbag and Q&A, essentially. So mod 2 plus 4 will be mailbag. But in the meantime, uh, you cannot believe how many people told us how to pronounce the unpronounceable... <laughs> Abistwithwith. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and it's Aberystwyth. 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 And well, you know who grew up next door? Our very own Will Harris. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, so he he of course for, immediately called me. and said, "What are you? What? Are, come on, mate! <laughs> it's Aberystwyth with or whatever it is. Aberystwyth. Yeah. So I wanted to acknowledge everybody Thank who you. who posted. Uh, okay, here's how you pronounce that. So yeah. we now know um, a, a listener in Sacramento who must have been anonymous, or I would have put his name here, s- m- mentioned that uh, referring to the the mine mention that the. Uh, it, this was from our episode last, the um, uh, identity meta meta <laughs> meta system stuff, where we were talking about Microsoft's meta authentication. Ca- yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we we're talking about Microsoft's card space, and I mentioned how I liked the prior name InfoCard better. That was right. their working name, right. and he commented that InfoCard is an Apple trademark. Because there was something called InfoCard back in the iMac days. Ah. He says he has an old copy of it, and that's why Microsoft was unable to use it. Interesting. Which, you know, it, it may be very true. I don't know that for a fact, but certainly sounds I never sounds heard of it, but I'm sure it's, you know, plausible. who knows, yeah. Bill Holton of Gainesville, Florida writes that he is human. <laughs> and And that reminded me that I had said, maybe it was in last week's podcast, that this week we were going to be talking about 
CAPTCHA technologies, you know, the and un, under the title, Are You Human? And I, it wasn't until I saw his posting that I thought, oh, that's right, that's what we were going to talk about. But I was all revved up and geared up to talk about TPM, so we'll perhaps do that next week. Not really sure, but anyway, well, he says... next week, it'll be two weeks, because we're doing... Uh, oh, fair, thank you, Leo. Yes. So 101 um, at the soonest. So, oops, and that would be a mailbag episode already. So, anyway, but... but <laughs> we're out of control. <laughs> oh, no, wait. It wouldn't no, be it because wouldn't be. Q&A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, because mailbags are definitely divisible by two. Yes. Um, so, Bill Holton says, not only is he human, but that most computers don't think he is. Right. Because he's blind. Uh-huh. Captures are a notorious problem for yep. uh, people with poor vision, yeah. And so he says, the increasing use of CAPTCHA is locking me and others like me out of more and more sites. When you do your Are You, when you do your Are you Human podcast, please mention the need to find non-visual-based CAPTCHAs and ones for the deaf-blind, well, that's going to be a real challenge, who can't even use the audio CAPTCHA sites like Google and Yahoo are adopting to help the blind get around the CAPTCHA problem. Hmm. You may want to try the audio CAPTCHA to see how unusable it oh, is. Oh, you for want me. to hear the audio CAPTCHA on mine? Uh, I'm using that for my emails to avoid spam. I'm using the Carnegie Mellon one, which I know you're going to talk about because it's a really yep. cool idea. It's the recaptcha. And I thought, oh, this is great because I I was I had been sensitized to the issue of captcha. That's the that's where they put that weird text that you can't, that machines supposedly can't read and humans barely can, and you type it in and then you know you're not a machine. But the problem is, of course, if you can't see, you can't type it in. So this has audio. But listen to this. This is how they get around the, the machine reading the audio. Oh my god. No, it's not that's not so, <laughs> you can do it though, right? So they've done the same thing with the audio yeah. that they have done with the visual. Exactly. Oh my god. But, I mean, you know, it you does, know I, I could I do gotta it. say sometimes I cannot type no, in the visual captures they're correctly. very difficult and that, and i have to say the audio is difficult too but that's kind of the point i mean i understand that it's difficult you only have to do it once on my site you get the email address and you can use it from then on but uh, right um you know uh, it's tough accessibility on the web is getting harder and harder as we get more and more uh, flash and scripted stuff and it's just it's difficult but it's certainly worth doing. We, we're redesigning the radio show site, and that's uh, uh, one of the things that is a very high priority is to make sure it's accessible. A lot of blind people, of course, listen to the radio and podcasts, I might add. Yeah, yep. it really does make sense. Yep. Okay, J- last mailbag que- uh, uh, submission. Uh, was, it was a long one, but interesting. Jeremy Clark of Ottawa, Canada says, I love the podcast, and I listen to every single one. I think you have got EV certificates all wrong, though. Okay. Now remember What's the the, e, the EV I, I mentioned and was grousing about it a week or two ago. Those are the things that are super expensive uh. from Verisign, which are what enables you to get the green background in IE7 as a phishing preventer. And the idea is that you know you you know I'm already unhappy that this whole certificate thing that seems like such a scam that they expire every couple of years and I've got to pay seven hundred dollars or something like that um, for for another two years. Their EV is enhanced verification or some acronym of that of that sort for which they get a ton of money. Anyway, he says EV certificates are a signal of legitimacy, not of security. Of, okay, of legitimacy, not of security. Yes. And they were created specifically to combat phishing. Right. In the days before international banking, banks would build elaborate buildings. The reason for this is often considered by non-economists to be competitive. However, economists know that if it were out of competition, there would be similar architectural arms races in other industries. Yet banks were different somehow. The real reason is that the bank could afford to build beautiful buildings while the fraudsters right. who would open a bank and then skip town with the money deposited could not. Right. A Baroque building was a signal of legitimacy. 
These scenarios are called signaling games in economics and game theory that only a a legitimate bank could afford to send. The problem in the online world, as you well know, is that people use the same rationale. If they go to a phishing site and it has a nice layout with scripting and menus and animation, they assume it's real. Enter EV certificates, the online equivalent of building a nice bank. It only makes economic sense to get one if you plan on sticking around. A nice website is a signal that anyone can duplicate, and therefore it isn't a good signal at all. An EV-enhanced certificate that costs 15000 per year is not easily duplicated and therefore is an effective signal. If you are legitimate and can't afford one, you probably are not a target for phishing in the first place, which actually I thought was sort of a really good point that he made. If you don't have the name, if you don't have the same need to signal your legitimacy as PayPal, eBay, Amazon, or an online bank, all of whom can afford one. And then he says, I've written more on this exact topic. If you're interested, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, I just, I loved what he said, I and mean, this is the kind of really good stuff that's appearing in the mailbag now. Yeah, it's so. fascinating. There is, I think, a flaw in the logic there. Um, I have to, I have to point out, which is uh, that because maybe, and maybe it's a flaw in the way it's been communicated what that green bar means. But as long as you're doing that green bar, pretty soon people associate it with safe. And uh, as he points out, uh, uh, you know, if it's, if it's, if if you can be safe and not be able to afford it. Uh, unlike a bank where you're saying, well, if he's a big bank, he's going to be able to afford a nice building. It's not necessarily the case. So uh, on a website, you know, you could be legitimate. And he says, well, it doesn't matter because nobody's fishing you. It does matter to the end user because they pay attention to whether there's a green bar or not. Yes, and exactly. And and that's, of course, the 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 foundation of my gripe is right. that you're I'm legitimate, doing... but you can't afford it. it. Well, I don't want to because, I mean, it's just extortion. It but just, he makes a good feels... point. Nobody's going to fish GRC.com. Actually. Actually, I take it back, and that's the other flaw in this: is he's assuming economic gain. And it's pure if it's pure economics, that's true. But people might fish GRC.com to put a fraudulent security program, sure, out. So that isn't sure. purely economic. So there there are some flaws. This isn't exactly analogous to the bank. I think I I think your gripe still stands. You people well, people you know, would want to fish GRC because they could say, hey, get our free new security program, and it's a Trojan horse. And and if it were something I could buy once, if I could right. get a lifetime, well, in fact, that w- that would create the kind of lock-in that VeriSign would like to have with their customers, because you know, in fact, they sent me a questionnaire the other day saying, ah, how happy are you with our right. certificate services? And I just, I took the opportunity to tell them exactly how I felt about the fact that I was having to fork over Good. all this money every right. couple years. Right. I said, you know, I like your service. I've I've used it for years, but boy, if anyone came along that offered, you know, the same thing for less money, there there is not much lock in here. But right. as I was going to say, I I would buy it once. I'd I'd even spend 15 grand one time if then I could have like a reduced annual rate and still get the greenness having paid for it once. Well, but, and again, you know, I think there are people who are giving away free uh, good, free, legitimate security software who might be fished, who have no economic value and no economic incentive and uh, still can't afford this for a very good reason. They're not paying, asking people to pay for it. So I think yeah. this, is a, this is a particularly capitalistic point of view on the, on the situation and, and doesn't really address the real issue. I, I agree with you, Steve. It, it, I don't even think it should be 15000 I understand. But, you know, there are ways now to validate somebody without making them pay a lot of money. That's pure greed. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's pure greed. We don't, we're not think, in the 18th century anymore. <laughs> and I think Jeremy did have a typo. I think it's 1500 not 15000 yeah, 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 It's not 15000 yeah. yeah. But even uh, there that's was, a lot. I did have one more note here. I, I scroll down. Uh, that one was so long. At Eric Espinoza at Pasadena uh, in the mailbag, he says, I'm a systems security guy for a government organization, uh, and actually his email gives it away. He's uh, a well-known propulsion laboratory. Oh, okay. Uh, so he certainly does know, uh, you know, uh, his technology. He says, and I've followed your podcast since the beginning. I am. I usually recommend this podcast to people showing interest in technology. There are a few things we. There are a few things we disagree on, but for the most part, we're on the same page on everything. Just wanted to give an anecdote about how checking the certificate for a VeriSign or Thought or 
you know, parens insert your trusted provider here, is not enough to ensure integrity of the site. My girlfriend, after seeing Blood Diamond, which is a recent movie, is not any longer into mined diamonds. She prefers lab diamonds and asked me to get her a pair of earrings from a site she saw advertising in the LA Times called Diamond Essence. Turns out they misrepresented cubic, cubic zirconia as lab diamonds, but that's another story. I did my usual checks before putting my credit card in, which are as follows. I mean, this guy is way thorough. Typed in the name into Google, looked for horror stories, checking the cert, checked the CRL, that is the, the uh, certificate revocation list, for the registrar involved. All looked good, so I proceeded. When I woke up the next day, I got a call from my credit card company asking about various charges. My card had been hit by 10 different places oh. tr- trying to rack up over $2,000 in charges. Fortunately, the bank blocked all but $10 of those transactions. Not being sure that this was the place where the whole thing originated, I decided to try one more time. This time, I used a PayPal one-use virtual MasterCard. Hmm, smart. And I didn't even know that PayPal offered that. But now that I know, I'm going to look into that because that sounds like a cool thing. Many Visa and MasterCard people do. And that's really neat. Yeah. yeah. He says, I had loaded up just the appropriate amount into my PayPal account and didn't allow the thing to pull from any other of my other accounts in the case of overdraft. I put the virtual MasterCard number into the site and bam, got hit with a ton of charges that were immediately declined. Interesting. I called up the company, asked to speak with management and told him what had happened. He, probably oblivious to the situation, insisted that the problem was probably due to spam infection and so forth. You know, blah, blah, blah. Not our problem. Not our fault. I informed him that I had already passed the info along to my bank and that he should expect a call telling him that I wasn't being malicious, but have facts to back up that his site has been hijacked or hacked or something. And he says, anyways, I have tried contacting VeriSign to let them know of the incident, and today they are signed by, oh, and today they are signed by thought. Not sure if, they still, if they're still oh, hacked. Interesting. But, but I guess that means that they changed their certificate as a consequence. Hmm. He says, but a valid cert, so the point is, a valid cert is not enough, uh, certainly in every case. Unfortunately, there isn't anything better. I'm not here promoting PayPal or anything, but I think the use of one-time cards with simple dispute procedures is Mm -hmm. what is needed online. Mm -hmm. That way, one can severely limit the amount of damage done. Since most hackers use a $1 charge to ensure the card is active, they'll take at most $1 from your account. Right. Wow. Very interesting saga. So, I mean, we're just getting such good postings to... The, the page that um, I think, you know, it may Good. very well be that there's a, there'll be enough things to share. Starting with 102, we'll be doing uh, mailbag episodes. That's and great. speaking of good things to share, I do have one of my really fun uh, and interesting Spinrite success story to share. Fire away. Uh, this is from uh, Aaron Jensen uh, in, I think it's Lumbee, British Columbia. He says, hi, Steve, I'm a computer systems technician for a large manufacturing company but like many others in this field, I also support a few smaller clients and my family members in my off hours. I've been listening to Security Now since the beginning and don't think I've missed a single episode. I must be honest and admit that before you started talking about Spinrite success stories on the podcast, I was only familiar with GRC for the Shields Up utility, which I've been using for years in the past. So it's very cool that you know we're able to use this to get the word out. It was... Er- I was oh it, it was early into the Security Now episodes when I had my first occasion to run Spinrite on a laptop owned by a customer's daughter. The system was only partially booting into Windows and then rebooting itself. This, of course, caused an endless loop many techs are familiar with. The daughter is an artist, and her laptop was the only storage location for gigabytes worth of photos. Many of these photos were of her artwork that had long since been sold, and now the photos were her only record of these paintings in her portfolio. Needless to say, now the fo- needless to say, she was terrified 
that all these images had been lost. I went online and purchased my first copy of Spinrite, ran it on the drive overnight, and the next day the system booted without even an error. We immediately backed up all her artwork photos, and she's still using the same hard drive to this day, which I guess must be like more than a year ago since he's, he's talking about early on in, in the podcast we, we, that this began. So he says... Uh, she's still using the same hard disk to this day, although she backs it up much more often. Later, <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah, good. Later, I kept a copy of Spinrite for myself as it was licensed to me, but I went online with her parents and had them purchased another copy of their, for their own use, just in case her laptop drive had more problems down the road. Then he says, in the last year or more, I've had three to four other occasions where my copy of Spinrite really saved the day. And in each case, I went online with the computer's owner and helped them purchase a copy of the program. I wanted each of them to have a copy of Spinrite because it's so easy to use if they ever needed, if they ever needed it again. Plus, I really wanted to support you and the incredible job you've done with this application. These days, larger software developers seem to spend a lot of time trying to design the ultimate application for everyone. It has to do lots of things for lots of people so it can have the largest potential sales opportunities. But in my experience, I've always found that when a developer like yourself sinks tons of time and experience into an application that is designed to perform pretty much just one job, it almost always does that job better than anything else. In every case where I've needed where I've had a need to run Spinrite, it has done the job better than I could have ever expected. Even my mom has all of her data on her new computer because Spinrite saved it all when her old computer's hard drive crashed. Well, there Keep you up go. the good work with Spinrite and Security Now and congratulations on the recent milestones hit by Shields Up. So That's neat. Really nice, really nice posting, and I thank Aaron for It's for nice sharing. to have uh, uh, good customers. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, and nice. he's, I mean, you could, I couldn't ever ask for anything more than him using his copy, which I have no problem with, to fix somebody, and then helping them to buy their own. You know, it's right. like, that's, neat. that's, that's, that's the, the perfect model. Well, okay. let's, uh, are we going to, let's, uh, I'm trying to think, maybe we should do Nerds on Site, and then we will... Get, no, you know what? I want to get to TPM. We've been waiting long enough, and I want to hear about it. We'll talk about Nerds Unsight in a bit. Okay. TPM. Trusted, trusted pro, program module? Um, uh, trusted? trusted platform, platform module. Okay. Well, okay. So what TPM is, basically, it, it, it call, comes down to being a chip. It is a chip on the motherboard, that is to say on the platform. Now, this doesn't have to be, though, a PC it's com- entirely foreseeable that these things will be in PDAs and cell phones in the future. It is, it is meant to be tightly integrated to the platform. That is to say, soldered on to the motherboard. Although, as it turns out, it is on a small daughter board, even on IBM's ThinkPads, which are TPM-enhanced laptops. So... It, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be non-removable, but it's certainly not user-removable. That is, it's not you know in a behind a door that anyone can open the screws and pull out. It's meant to be integrated onto the platform. So, so the reason it's called Trusted Platform Module is that it is a, it is a component like you know like the processor chipset and so forth that is that is not user-removable, and that's part of 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 the benefit it provides. So it is inherently just a microcontroller. It's a it's a, a smart engine that has a number of characteristics. The good news is it is completely open. The specification is open, freely downloadable. The there is source code now that is completely open source and GPL'd and for example Linux has drivers that can use the TPM. It got off to a somewhat rocky start because when Microsoft announced Palladium, that, as you may remember, Leo, was their very controversial, you know, we're going to lock the system down so tight that, you know, nothing will be able to escape it and we'll know exactly what's going on. I mean, it, it, it raised, you know, the, the Microsoft's Palladium announcement raised a ton of controversy in the industry. Well, 
TPM is is related very peripherally, if you'll pardon the pun, because it, it is a an enabling component of palladium, but in no way is it palladium, nor is it DRM. One of the other concerns was that palladium was like, you know, another march forward in Microsoft's DRM-directed campaign. And so, so TPM, the Trusted Platform Module, got discolored as a consequence of Palladium. Of it sort of, you know, exactly. It, yeah. it, it being something that Palladium could use. Now, Microsoft actually called their hardware side an SCP, a secure crypto processor. And so that was the acronym that they were using, saying that Palladium would, would be software and hardware, and on the hardware side would be an SCP. Now, what, what's interesting is that Microsoft has also just patented this their approach upside down and backwards and sideways. So they're saying, "Oh no, this is not just us. You know, other other OSs could use it, but it's entirely clear that they could also foreclose that from happening by leveraging their patents." And of course, we've just recently talked about Microsoft and their patents. Right. So so it's <laughs> and their it's, leverage <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's very clear to me that TPM is. You know, that's the solution that's probably going to win because it's going to get industry support and it's going to get multi-platform support. Um, you know, I have it on two machines. I have it on a, a motherboard that I recently purchased. That's my, I think I mentioned my, you know, my quad core machine has TPM and my, my ThinkPad T60 laptop has it and mm-hmm. I've got it enabled. It's worth noting and this is in the spec, actually, that it is disabled by default. Yeah. So it is normally turned off because of the sensitivity there is to issues of privacy relating to this, even though I really think those are misnomers. Okay, now, what is it? What it provides is a number of basically crypto services. It is the the beauty of it is that there are things that you would like to do in crypto that you would like to shield from malicious software and that's really all it is it is it is it's the movement of some sensitive cryptographic operations into hardware for the sole purpose of preventing malicious software from from having access to those operations so it has non-volatile memory so again it's a chip and it's like a little coprocessor it's got non-volatile memory and you can the user is able to say flush yourself and re-init and it will do that and you normally do these things from the bios so if you have a t you have you'll have a t you'll have a a tpm enhanced bios which understands that it's got the TPM hardware there with it on the motherboard. And you're able to disable it completely, in which case all of its BIOS support and functionality and access from or by the operating system's drivers are also disabled. Or you're able to reinitialize it, basically saying, forget everything you knew, I'm, you know, I want you to restart. Well, one of the things it has that is uh, we've talked about before that it's very cool is a true random number generator not a prng that is a pseudo random number generator true random numbers being which you are able to generate in hardware taking advantage of things like thermal noise in the chip itself you know like literally electron migration or electron tunneling um or or clock jitter where it's able to use just you know things that are non-algorithmic in order to generate its random numbers so it's even a better random number generator than anything that software could do because as we know so as we've said before software is 100% deterministic so there isn't a way that software can generate random numbers because it's designed not to 
you know, it's specifically designed not to. It's so random. And you know, an algorithm can't be random. It can be very good pseudo-random, but not truly random. Well, the TPM has true random number generation capability. It also has both volatile and non-volatile memory so that it is able to store things persistently until such time as the user or the, the various APIs that are used to access it tell that to change. One of the things it has, for example, is a monotonic counter, which is also very useful. So it's got a counter which counts up forever, meaning that that it's able to solve problems with any kind of replay attacks by by having a counter which just starts at zero when it's born and it never wraps around. It's got so many bits in the counter that it absolutely, positively can never wrap around. And any time the chip feels that it's about to lose power, as soon as it you know there, there's like a power loss line. Then it writes that counter into non-volatile memory. It doesn't continually write it because, as we know, um, EEPROM technology wears out over time. So you would not want to be continually writing into the EEPROM or the chip would burn itself out. But when you shut it down, then it stores the current state of the counter into non-volatile memory so that when, it, when you power up again, it starts up where it left off. Therefore, guaranteeing that it will never have, it will never reuse the same number again. It also has full support for RSA asymmetric encryption. So RSA compatible, um, you know, public key crypto. It's able to generate public and private keys. It's able to perform RSA operations. And any one of these, you're able to tell it, what bit length you want, but the spec requires at least 20,000, I'm sorry, 2,048, 2048 bits of equivalent RSA key length. So, you know, you know, next generation key length for, you know, aimed at the future. Um, it also has built-in SHA-1 hashing uh, um, of 160 bits minimum. So, for example... One of the things that the chip does is when you initialize it and you say, okay, go, it will use the true random number generator to generate a public and private key pair. That is an asymmetric key pair. And part of the coolness of this is that there is nothing you can do, no commands you can give it that will ever cause it to export its private key. It was so, so there's just it's got this magic 2048 bit private key which it generated using its true random number generator, and there is no way you can ever force it to reveal it. No, no monitoring of the pins with a scope. I'm no always suspicious when I hear never, though. I mean, hackers are so ingenious. No, but I mean, the the the, the technology doesn't permit it there's no you know i mean okay sir you could have a bug in the chip there could be a mistake in the microcode there there could be that kind of thing but the but the specification does not allow for this private key to ever leave the chip and all of the crypto has been designed so that it doesn't need to so what this essentially the chip has a number of features it is a it is a secure place for crypto to be done by the host operating system that where there is there is no danger at least for the crypto operation itself of that being intercepted and abused in any fashion but it also has a number of other things there, there there's something called hardware platform attestation that is attesting uh, to the hardware. The hardware has, you know, like a, 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 any hardware has a whole bunch of settings in the BIOS. You've got hard drives with serial numbers. You've got a bunch of things about the platform at any given time. It's possible for you to, and, and the chip has this technology, to, to take a snapshot of the hardware platform and the chip will then, and it, it's, it, it will hash that 
in down into a hundred and sixty bit represent hash representation of the current hardware platform settings and you're able then to if you wish to and again all this is under software control but you're able to to have the have the TPM chip attest to the state of the hardware and essentially certify that that no changes have been made from now compared to the time that this hash was generated so so that you're able to say the hard drive hasn't changed settings haven't changed you know wh- whatever um, characteristics of the platform you want to be attestable this will verify that and there it is able you're also able to do the same sort of thing during the OS boot process and for example the Linux t- implementation of this has that now so that so that Linux is able to interact with this hardware during the boot process and and essentially generate a series of hashes of the kernel as Linux boots so that you can absolutely verify that no change has been made to any of the Linux modules from the time that the, the snapshot was taken. So it gives you a means of of booting into a secure known state That's that nice. prevents oh it's yeah. way yeah. cool Leo yeah. yeah it sounds like a really uh, a great idea and the the security I mean the issues that people were coming up with were more about things uh, and I think it was maybe more palladium uh, implementation of it that but things like revoking documents uh, or revoking emails after they'd already been mailed but that's not well, that's not part of TPM per se. Well, and that's a perfect a perfect segue into my into my noting that yes, people have been concerned that, for example, it could be used to give you better DRM, you know, digital rights management, yeah. something more serious for software to lock on to. Uncrackable. Well, well, except that, uh, and 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 here's the point: it there is no protection from the user. The protection is from malicious software. Ah, okay. And that's the key. You're, you're, it, 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 the TPM specification does not try to protect itself from the user, from the owner, from someone having physical presence. It's designed to protect from malicious software. And so it's, it's really not enhanced DRM because, you know, you could reset your TPM chip and, and say, okay, look, now I need to reauthorize myself. I mean, so it's so it's it's not that. And several of the several of the people that defend the spec make the point of saying, "Look, you know, all this is is better security. Sure, you can use better security for pro-user or anti-user right, right. benefit, right. but it's not it's not the security's it's fault. It's not inherent in the security at all." Precisely. Right, right. In, in the same way that the Internet, you know, right. the Internet is not bad just because right. bad things can happen with it. It's just it's just a capability. So and what I like about TPM is that it it moves the sensitive operations out of software where they're fundamentally open to compromise. Mm-hmm. Now, certainly you still need a secure interface to TPM and there are there are some scenarios where in fact in order to make changes the OS has to lose control that is it, you have you go through a full hardware reboot that takes you back into the BIOS where you're back in control of a limited environment where you've got much better guarantee of of a secure path between the keyboard and display and the TPM in order to do some things, and then you go back into the operating system. So, I mean, there are scenarios that, w- that will be developed in the future where where things that were not used to being done now will be done with TPM because, you know, the hardware s- platform support provides it. And um, I, I just think of it as an overall good thing. I Once I understood what it was, I enabled it on my platforms, and as, and as you know, for example, I'm using a, a a fingerprint swipe on my on my ThinkPad, which unlocks both the BIOS and unlocks my password protected hard drive, so that you know, and all of that is stored in the TPM chip. 
you, I mean, the, I, I, I should mention a little bit more about the non-volatile memory side. It's able to store your, you know, the, the, the keys and certificates and other data that you would like stored in a way that nothing can get to it. The problem, if you store this stuff on a hard disk, is that it's there on the hard disk. But if you store your passwords and your certificates in this non-volatile memory and you lock it so that it requires a boot time, power on time unlock, then there isn't any way for this to get compromised. It won't let that stuff out until you've provided it with something that hashes down to the same value it's got stored in this single chip and nothing comes out of its pins until you've said, it's me, I need access to this stuff. So, I mean, it, it's like a very secure, hardware-enforced crypto vault that is is part of the hardware. And, you know, we when we've talked about multi-factor authentication, we've talked about how single-factor username, passwords, you know, something you know is not safe, that really something you have would be nice to have added. Well, TPM provides very carefully designed second factor authentication of something you have. You have the laptop, you have the cell phone or PDA or whatever the the TPM chip has been installed in. So a weak password would still have the same consequence if somebody stole your laptop though, right? Yes, again, it, it there's no there, there's there's no way to prevent against that except that the TPM also in the spec at least in 1.2 the most recent version they've got dictionary attack prevention oh, so it will smart. shut it it will shut itself down if it sees you if sees someone trying to guess your password it will first lengthen the response time and then lock out it, it, TPM is from Intel and Microsoft, or who who was involved in? One hundred and twenty different companies oh, are involved okay. in this. I mean, virtually, it's a who's who. It's the it, it it's from the the TCG is the Trusted Computing Group, which is an un, unaffiliated independent alliance of 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 more than a hundred companies that have gotten together and said we want an open spec an open platform for you know and, and and agreeing on what the functionality should be when we create a you know what Microsoft calls SCP this secure crypto processor well i'm really glad this wasn't done and spec yeah. by microsoft yeah, yeah. it was done independently and for example yes intel intel's newer chipsets have tpm all the tpm functionality built right into them but many so, other people make TPM microcontrollers, so there's it's so open that even other hardware platform, other hardware manufacturers are involved in it. Oh, it's yeah, exactly. It's multi-platform and and and, a, and, a, and an evolving, complete open spec. All the PDFs are there. I think it's at, at TCP.org, mm-hmm. the Trusted Computing Group.org has all this. So I mean, this is our foundation for moving crypto onto hardware and being able to securely store stuff we really want to be kept safe in a way that that you know that nothing nothing that happens no kind of system subversion is able to get there because it's implemented in hardware uh, and you're using this on your t60 yes great and it hasn't hindered you in any way and it's worked reliably and of course no, i just like knowing it's there yeah i, I, you don't I love see it really yeah, I love that. Well, you know, when I swipe my fingerprint, my my the, the characteristics are found. They're hashed down. They're they're given to the TPM chip. It compares them w- w- with the various fingerprints because I've got two fingers from each hand, uh, which is actually a good thing because I've got a bandaid on my on my right forefinger right now. And I re- I realize, wait a minute, I can't I can't log in. It's like, oh wait a minute, I did my left hand too. So yeah, <laughs> the close thing. Um, exactly. And and how many manufacturers? I mean, uh, you, you can get so you can get it on your Lenovo. Um, our, Dell, I think, is offering some machines with it. Yes, and Dell is definitely in the they're, they're a big um, part of it. Trusted yeah. Computing Group. Yes. Right. Um, so, so you should probably look around, especially if you're getting a laptop. This is really important, uh, and look for one that has TPM enabled. Yes, I, I think for 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 portable computing, it offers you know the the potential for really good security. Mm-hmm. And I can I can foresee the day where where PDAs and cell phones will have a little fingerprint swipe sensor, and that'll go right into a little TPM chip on the you know, 
integrated into the electronics to say, yes, this is me who has this device. That's neat. That's neat. Well, there you go. That's it. TPM. And, uh, and I want to thank the folks at NOS for supporting this discussion on TPM. And I'm talking about nerds on site. This podcast brought to you, as always, by Nerds on Site. I want to be a nerd.com is the website. They're growing. They need more nerds. They're looking for somebody just like you. If you are a PC or a Mac expert, especially if you're the kind of guy who tears down your computer and rebuilds it in your spare time. Uh, if you know Cisco, if you know Cisco, if you know Oracle, if you, uh, I mean, pretty much anything, security, antivirus, even sales, even trainers, project managers, programmers, website designers, fix it, guys. If you're a nerd, a nerd on site, that is, you're an independent contractor. So you're in business for yourself, but you're not by yourself. They really help you with the business side of it. You focus on what you love, not the burdens of running that business. And it's not just the U.S. It's all over the world. Canada, Mexico, England, Australia, South Africa, and Bolivia, too. In fact, I think there's a few more countries to add to that list. Nerds on site. The University of Nerdology has great classes in systems, architecture, design, software development, full on-source IT departments to desktop support. All the stuff you'd like to know. If you're a nerd and you love working with people, here's what you do. You go to IWantToBeANerd.com and register for a nerds-only meeting in your area today. IWantToBeANerd.com. Nerds on site. They're picking me up in the Nerdmobile when I go to Vancouver uh, next week. <laughs> well, good. You, 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 you took them up on their offer to be your chauffeur. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. I said, do I have to ride in the Nerdmobile? They said, well, we were hoping you'd want to. And I said, yeah, of course I do. <laughs> They're all going to have their cameras out, you know. Oh, it's going to be fun. I can't wait. It'll be a lot of fun. I think, uh, unfortunately, uh, the, one of the guys that uh, you met with, is it Gary Redcop? Can't do it. So oh, yeah. he's going to be out of town. But um, yeah, da- uh, David. David, that's right. The, yep. the rest of them will be there. So Anyway, we thank them for supporting this podcast. We really appreciate Absolute. it. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. I think we've wrapped this up. We're going to do a question and answer session next week for our 100th episode. Yay! I apologize. I didn't get balloons or streamers or anything. Never missed a week, Leo. That's pretty impressive because there's no other podcast that can make that claim. Not no other Twit podcast, and probably not many other other podcasts either. That's pretty impressive. Well, good good job. Uh, we'll celebrate next week. I hope you'll join us. I'm Leo Laporte. Don't forget to, to go to Steve's site, by the way, grc.com. Yeah, that's where you can get 16 kilobit versions of this show, the the low bandwidth versions. You can also get transcripts and all the show notes and participate in his great security forums. That's grc.com. It's also where you'll get Spinrite, the world's best, the one they're all copying, the finest disk maintenance and recovery utility in the world. Spinrite, grc.com. Also, also great free security programs and shields up and all that stuff. See, we'll see you next week. Look forward to it, Leo. Secure